Hey, this is Eric Oldman. You're listening to The Rockin' Chicago Show. In each episode, I connect with musicians, artists, and industry people who are involved with Chicago's underground and independent music scene. The show is really a conversation about our creative processes, our hopes, our dreams, and experiences recovering as we all navigate through the challenges brought on by the pandemic and moving forward to a new day where we can create and perform music in and around our fair city. This episode is a bittersweet and tragic tale of lost and found, of closure and discovery revolving around a pair of musicians from Chicago's music scene. Some of you listening to this might be familiar with the post-punk quartet Da. Da came about in the early 80s of Chicago's punk scene during the late 1970s and early 80s, fronted by a then 17-year-old vocalist and bassist, Lorna Donnelly, and it also featured St. Louis transplant David Thomas on guitar. Dow would continue performing regionally, opening for bands such as The Fall, X, Husker Du, Bauhaus, and Mission of Burma until their dissolution in 1982. Later on in the 80s, Lorna and David went on to form The Veil, a band who briefly performed around the city and had cut a couple of releases to shop the labels for a record deal. Unfortunately, The Veil broke up and was quietly lost to history for the following three decades. Later on, Da would experience a resurgence in 2010, performing a pair of reunion shows at the Empty Bottle and the Abbey Pub, along with the release of their material on a compilation for Factory 25 Records called The Exclamation Point. This is where our story begins. During this time, Lorna and David were also revisiting the Veil recordings and considering finally releasing the material. Unfortunately, Lorna's life was cut short by a sudden medical condition in 2013. The story then picks up in 2018 when Eric Clements discovers the tapes of The Veil at a resale shop, just months after David had dropped them off as an act of release and closure. Three years later, Eric and David worked together to finally release The Veil's music, now billed as Lorna Donnelly in The Veil, in time for this year's record store day.
We just heard the first track from the release Time Stand Still off of my blocks and now we're going to dive into this rather interesting story with David and Eric. David, you could kind of start us off with um, just give us sort of um, how how the veil sort of came together out of the end of like Da, like back in like the, the early to mid 80s. Like how, how did that um, band sort of come together? Sure. Um, so I had been, uh, I had been the boy guitar player in the female, uh, art punk band, uh, Da, of, of, of which Lorna Donnelly had been the, the founding member. Um, it had originally been a female trio. Uh, then, uh, Gaylene Goudreau was added as a second guitarist. I had met Gaylene, um, elsewhere and, uh, I had moved to Chicago at some point and they were looking to, you know, uh, they were, they were interviewing female guitar players and it didn't work out. And one thing happened to another and I ended up uh, jamming with them one night and, and became their guitar player. And then we made a couple records. Uh, we were together for about two, two and a half years. Um, that band broke up. Gaylene headed to New York. Lorna had another band for a while called Silent Language. I kicked around in a couple other bands uh, for a while. Uh, the Interceptors, Terminal Beach, Mason and Err. Uh, Lorna and I uh, actually uh, became romantically involved probably about a year and a half, two years after Da had disbanded. Um, and after we had sort of kicked around doing other things, at some point we just said, you know, we worked really well together for a while. Let's let's maybe start to write some songs together and 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 you know do some recording and find some other people to play with us. And that was that was the genesis of, of the band that became the Veil. Um, so it really started. Lorna and I started the band uh, writing together. Um, we you know like all bands. I mean we you know we found another. I was I always was most comfortable playing with the second guitar player. Uh, there was a lot of guitar interplay in Da, and I kind of wanted to keep that going. Um, and so, you know, we found a drummer, we looked for a guitar player uh, that was a guy that I had known many years before uh, in St. Louis, where I partly grew up. And, uh, you know, we started doing, we, we rehearsed a lot. We did, we started gigging. Um, and we did a lot of recording. I think it really, it really kind of started with Lauren and I doing sort of recordings, just her and I, um, and then, you know, bringing in a drummer, um, re-recording some stuff, bringing in a couple other guitar players to play on it with us. Uh, those original recordings were done with Timothy Powell, um, who had recorded, had recorded uh, one of the Da records, as well as the, the Busted at Oz record and the Effigies and Strike Under. Right. Uh, we, Dot had been part of that whole circle. The, the right, material right. that's been uh, put on the album, uh, so it was recorded two different periods and some slight lineup variations. So, I mean, we did recording with Timothy and that came out as a, as a cassette at some point. Um, at another point, we went into the studio with Jeff Murphy of Shoes up in Zion, Illinois. At that point, he had just, re I, Jeff had just produced the first single by Material Issue um, oh wow! Yeah, and we were we were Lauren and I were friends with with Jim Ellison, and um, we really liked the sound of that record and that kind yeah. of yeah 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 that that partly and that was um what's the name of it that was uh she's going through my head was that what it was it was the first the first twelve inch uh, no that's not the name of I it. know Valerie loves me no no it wasn't that one there was another one I think 
she's going through my head or is that somebody else? I can't remember now. It was a 12 inch and we really liked the sound of it. It was real crunchy and cool, but also yep. pop. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we thought that we thought that, you know, working with Jeff Murphy would be a good fit for us. And so, you know, we went into the studio and did like five or six songs. Um, by that time, I think we, we had a second drummer by that time. Um, and uh, whose name was Andy Wall. Andy had come in and kind of crunched up our sound a little more. Um, and that was cool. The previous drummer had been a guy named Mike Eversall. Uh, Joe Haynes was our other guitar player. Um, and, that, and so we, we laid those tracks down and, you know, we were looking to release them or find a label that was interested or whatever. And right. um, then um, the other guitar player, Joe, actually left. And, and so we were kind of stuck for a while trying to, you know, that, that, that age old thing, like trying to replace the band member that just left for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. That's perennial band uh, personnel issues. Um, I kind of wanted to back up a little bit and talk about um, sort of where you guys landed stylistically. Um, The stuff for Da is is definitely kind of got more of this uh, really heavy art sort of post-punk vibe. Um, you know, a bit more experimental in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on from that time period um, to where, where we get to the Veils music. And the thing that strikes me right away is, yes, there's a, a huge shift towards like the, the st- structural stuff you hear with power pop and a lot of the references, like you mentioned, like the sound of material issue that hit me right away as well. When I started listening to the, the tunes a few days ago, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's like kind of that, that, sort of uh thread uh you mentioned a little bit of glitter pop and like kind of 70s glam sound that kind of goes in there too um how did you guys arrive on that to to that sound like how how did you is that something that you conscientiously decided Lauren and you were started writing the tunes or um Um, I don't think it was ever like it wasn't like a conscious decision like we're gonna you know we're gonna try to do stuff that's that's more this or more that um it was really just kind of a natural progression I think I think we had I think by the time, I mean, when we were in Dunn together, we were all just finding our legs. You know? Right. I mean, yeah. Lorna was Lorna was 19 years old when, right. when we were in awe. I was well, a couple years older. Um, so, you know, but we were still pretty much just kids kind of, you know, finding our way, you know. Right. Um, but what we brought to what we brought to that, um, you know, was a was was not just a love of like, you know, all the punk stuff that had just been happening. Um but we were all sort of like record geeks, you know, uh-huh. and we were old, we were old enough that all of us had on some level had experienced the British invasion. You know, we'd been through all this sort of like, you know, revolution rock and the, you know, the glam era and all that stuff, you know, leading into like, you know, punk. Right. Um, and so I think by the time we were playing in the veil, I think we had just I don't know. I think we were just more readily embracing our own roots a little bit. OK, um, I don't know. I think that, um, I, you know, I think the DOS stuff was, was more, maybe more arty because I don't know if we really, I'm not sure that we knew exactly what we were doing. You're experimenting, you know? right? Yeah. We were, I mean, we were just, yeah. we were, we were just, yeah. Uh, we hadn't really, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I kind of feel like by the time the veil came around, it was just like, you know, we kind of had better chops experience. We had, right. Um, we were not we were not stuck in any kind of thing like oh we got to sound like this or we got to sound like that you know what I right, mean right right yeah yeah you know da da was kind of on the outskirts of that Chicago punk scene you know because right in some ways it's like we didn't really fit in 
Right. We, you know, we loved psychedelic music. You know, we, we right. loved, you know, we loved everything from the 13th floor, floor 13th floor elevators to like Mata Hoople. You know, and, we were, we were, we were, we kind of embraced a whole lot of different things. Um, right. But you were, you, know, you were kind of in the same set as like kind of some of our seminal hardcore bands, right. You know, different, that's right, sound, that's right. different sounds, but it, I think the aesthetic was what kind of put you guys together a bit though. Like that sensibility, yeah. like it's yeah. just the punk DIY ethic that kind of really sure. kind of created the gel for that. Um, but, you know, I feel like the yeah. DIY, um, that sort of aesthetic, the DIY, yeah. I don't think we really abandoned that even in the veil, you know, we were right. we still, we still very much felt, you know, DIY ish. Right. Um, you know, but Lorna, Lorna was from the time I met her, I mean, she was like a big kinks fan. She loved the kinks. Yeah. You know? um, she loved the pretty things. I mean, when she, you know, yeah. When she first said to me back in the da days, that like she, you know, we covered some pretty things songs and I thought that was phenomenal, you know, right. That, that these three women that I was suddenly playing with, you know, were like into all the same kind of stuff I was. It was very cool. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think it was more of sort of an organic thing of just growing into what we did later, maturing maybe a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, that that's I think that's it. To be shared with the experience and uh, you know, the writing craft definitely shows through on the veil material. Um and and just yeah, it's it's such a it's a pleasure just a pleasure to listen to. I mean for me, it's a time and place. I kind of came of age in the late 80s, early 90s. I was in high school and I was mm-hmm. digging on all kinds of stuff. But yeah, material issue and, and all that was certainly in the forefront of things going on around here. And this the kind of you guys that, that's like kind of going back to that that sound and that that vibe. It certainly triggered some memories for me as I was listening to it. Um, cool. But on a, a, a note, to, it doesn't sound dated. Um, and this is something I want to kind of convey to our listeners. Um, and encouraging them to, to check out the music and we'll be playing it throughout the episode. Um, it, it, it's, it sounds, you know, pretty timeless in a lot of ways for me as well. Like it, it's relevant now, you know, it doesn't feel like, oh, that's definitely from the late eighties. Like it, there's just a, a certain relevancy and it's just good songwriting that kind of carries it through and, and, and kind of brings that current now too like you can listen to that and still really enjoy it without any of those preconceived notions of when it was actually made so kudos yeah, cool well thank you i, I appreciate writing that. on that yeah you know, that's kind of that's kind of what um i don't know i mean i i don't in some ways we weren't um we weren't really worried about catering to any kind of particular style yeah, um, yeah. i think we you know we really uh, there was, there was a certain point where Lauren and I had just, you know, become, uh, enamored of the idea that every song has its own character in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, you know, you do, you do what's best for that particular song, whatever it is. Um, it wasn't like we experimented a lot with different instrumentation or anything like that, but we did, um, you know, within, within the sort of like straight up, you know, bass drums, two guitars, vocal thing i mean i think we tried to find sort of what fit that particular song i guess let's take a quick break and have a listen to another track off a time stand still this is ac radio It was 
Okay, let's hear from Eric on how you um, came across all this music. Like, how did you find the tapes? Yeah. Uh, so one Saturday, I was uh, so I found it at the Village Discount in Andersonville. Okay. Yep. Uh, and one Saturday, I was uh, walking with my wife, and we were walking through Andersonville, and we were getting further south towards the village discount and she wanted to pop in somewhere else. And I said, I'm going to go to the village discount. And then, so I, uh, I went in there and um, I'm always looking at the old records and uh, the old, you know, and looking for, uh, so I'm always looking for the old music and stuff like that. That's just, that's, that's just how I've been for a long time. I yep. love through the course. Uh, there's an area in the back of village discounts or in village discounts that have these bags of like yeah. bric-a-brac and crap. Yeah. for like you know really cheap yeah so i noticed um there was a, a bag of uh tapes and there was like eight or nine tapes and the tapes and the, the bag was 40 cents huh. right so so uh <laughs> and the bag had like something in it like let's say uh uh iggy pop in the Iggy Pop and the Stooges Raw right. Power or something. So it was like, oh, right. I'm just going to get this and whatever. But mixed within that, right. some other cool ones, you know, like Suicide, the band Suicide, and some yep. mixed, and there were some mixtapes. But, you know, you buy you buy right. the bag, you keep one thing, it's worth right. it. Exactly. Um, so then I found another bag and another bag and another bag. Uh, I found a bunch of bags. I found about 120 cassettes. Oh, jeez. Uh, for, for about $8. Uh, did they look like they all came from the same collection? Yes. Yeah, they yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they all so, and there were mixtapes within there. So I was like, I had a I had a backpack at the time that was empty. And I was I just stuffed them all in this backpack. And I and uh, I left the store and I told my my wife what I did. So my <laughs> so my plan was, and then right away it's just like uh, uh I mean she's very understanding with my collecting. Sure. But uh, but I was like, OK, I'm going to go Saturday night. I'm going to hang out, drink a few beers and go through these cassettes, pick out the ones I I want, pick out the ones I don't want um, and then give the rest to Village Discount because I just I can't keep right. a bunch of uh, mixtapes, a um, bunch of dusty mixtapes. I just can't. So anyway, I was I created two piles and uh, there was the cool stuff. And I was looking up the cool stuff to see if it was worth any money. And then they had the reject pile and I looked yeah. over the reject pile um, <laughs> and I saw, I saw a veil, a veil cassette. And it was like this, this looked like it was a, it was a four track cassette that they had, right. that, um, it was independent really re- released. And I looked it up. I couldn't find anything about them online. Mm-hmm. But it had a color cover, but it had a color cover. Yeah, it was yeah. independent really released. Sure. It wasn't like a mixtape. Right. right. And um, uh Printed. Yeah, printed. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Independent, sell it to right. shows, whatever. Right. So I, I I put it back. I couldn't find anything by, by you know, the band. So then I looked at the reject pile again, and I found, like, final mixes, Veil. Oh, know, wow. Another, uh, um, EP sessions, um, re- uh, you know, other stuff like uh, uh, rehearsal tapes. You know, so all in all, I found eight cassettes by them. And I'm like, so, I, so then I started looking a little closer and I looked at that cassette, the first one I told you about. Yeah. And I, I saw the name Lorna Donnelly. So I, you know, the Veil vale, right. Lorna Donnelly. Before it was the Veil vale Chicago, Veil vale Chicago band. I looked right. on YouTube, Discogs, all these nothing. places I know, uh, Google, Google Image, nothing. nothing. So then I found right. uh, the Veil vale, Lorna Donnelly. And then that took me to one article in the Tribune, uh, mm-hmm. 1988. 
Right. And uh, from there, I learned about DA. Uh-huh. Uh, I learned about um, the, you know, what DA was, you know, and what the veil was trying to be. And, uh, and then looking at Lorna, so I looked up DA and I found the DA stuff, the DA video, um, you know, it was a Wikipedia page. And I also found out Lorna Donnelly had passed away. Yep. And um, so I had this like feeling, um, you know, when I'm looking at these these tapes and I'm just like, I'm the only person that has these tapes maybe in the world. And then I was like, well, maybe at the very least I could like, you know, digitally, uh, you know, copy them and put them on YouTube. Right. right. Mm-hmm. But I but like me, I felt bad just like giving them right. back to like Village Discount, which is essentially like a garbage maybe for some, you know, mixed tapes eventually. So right. then um, a few months later, uh, so I didn't listen to him that night. <laughs> you didn't? You didn't I, actually listen to him? No. But you were just intrigued by it. I was like, intrigued, yeah, so I sure, decided sure. to keep him. Sure, sure. <laughs> I've, I swear I've told David this, David this before. Uh, <laughs> no, it's cool. No, so, so I decided yeah. to keep him, so I was up late one night just hanging out. Uh, uh, I'd actually been laid off work. And then, <laughs> so like, a, like three days later, and I, I have all the time in the world. So I'm listening to records. I'm listening to records like 12 o'clock, and then I look over and I see those fail tapes. So I was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll, let me. What the hell?" So I pop yeah. them and see what see what they sound like. That's right. Yeah. Right. So I was like, right. "Yeah, what the hell?" Let's see what's going on. And then so I did that, and then I was just like, "Oh man, this is you know." First, first song, I was like, "Oh, this is really cool. Like yeah. this is like this is cool, and I can't believe no one else knows about it." And then I listened to the second song, and then you know before you know, I got to like. I was like four for four or five for five as far as songs that I liked. And I'm like, I could Damn. put out a record, you know, I can, I can maybe put out a record of this, you know, maybe, um, yeah, I can put out, a, you know, maybe uh, um, other people would want to hear this. I have the music. I mean, I have like the, there's a, enough, there isn't any filler that I can hear. It's right. just, it'd be a really good record. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, you know, got to eight song, nine song, you know, listen to another cassette and I'm just blown away. Let's take another break. This is Gunpowder Mouth off a of Time Stand Still.
David, tell us about the process of you kind of letting go of everything and, and getting rid of the, the tapes. Sure, sure. So, you know, so uh, you know, the band had broken up around 89 or so. Lorna went on. She had another band called Hip Deep Trilogy. I kind of felt like at that point, I mean, I was like, you know, early 30s. Um, I kind of felt like uh, I was probably sort of done. Yeah. Um, I've always kind of thought, you know, it's a, it's a young man's game, young woman's mm-hmm. game. Um, Lorna kept on. She had a band called Hip Deep Trilogy. They were great in their own way. Um, and she and I stayed in contact and all that. But, you know, things just kind of, you know, the years went on, the years went on. We did other things. Right. Um, and at a certain point, uh, the film that was called You Weren't There, uh, A History of Chicago Punk, had been, the documentary had been finished here. Uh, Joe and, um, and Chris had done that film. And, uh, you know, they had used one of the DA videos in it. And, and uh, Lorna was one of the talking head interviews that was featured in that film. Um, and there was interest. And there was enough interest that there was a DA reissue, which was the exclamation point record that came out. So Lorna and I had worked together on putting those tracks together for that issue of the DA stuff. Right. And, when, and then we did a couple of reunion gigs at the, at the, at the empty bottle and, and um, the Abbey, Abbey, Abbey right. pub. That's right. Yep. Yep. You know, yep. yep. And, and, you know, we enjoyed it. We, we liked doing it. It was cool to play together again. We didn't right. have all the weird emotional baggage that we used to have. Right. Um, Gaylene came in from California. You know, we propped mm-hmm. Bob up behind the drums and <laughs> it was all, it was, it was, and then we had another, um, the second gig was with a different drummer, Jason Batchko. He was fantastic. So Lauren and I had, you know, we had to work all the songs up together again. And in the process of doing that and putting together the Da reissue, um, we both said, you know, geez, this veil stuff, you know, yeah. we never, we never really put it out in a way that we wanted to. And so we had actually started to, to move toward that end. And I had put together a CD uh, with, a, with a track sequence of like sort of my suggestions of what we could do. And Lorna had listened to it and she had some feedback to it. In the meantime, she had gotten married, um, right. you know, so she was, she was busy, you know, in her personal life. Um, but three months after she was married, quite unexpectedly and tragically, she passed away. I felt like, you know, when that happened, I mean, that was like a real blow. She was, she was a person that, you know, I had been involved with on a number of different levels for so long. I thought, you know, it's sometimes people that you're really close to, I guess, I don't know. I felt like I I never envisioned my world without her, even when we were no longer together, she was always still part of my world. You know, she was a big part of my history, all of that. Um, And a couple of years went by after that. I did sort of a tribute radio show for her on WLUW. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess that was back in 2010, 2013, 2014, 2014. Yeah, you're right. Um, and, uh, uh, but I, I don't know by, I don't know what year it was that I got 2018. 2018. By 2018, my wife and I were moving and we did a massive purge. You were done. And one, one of the yeah. things that I was just like, yeah. I don't know. It felt like one of those things, like I, I can't really drag this around with me anymore. You right. know, right. it was, it was, it was a, it was a emotional purge as much as it was a physical purge. Um, and I decided to jump, I, I dumped my entire cassette collection, including all those tapes. Right. Um, and I just, you know, I kind of, I mean, emotionally and psychologically, I kind of laid it to rest, you mm-hmm. know, and I actually remember as, as 
I was walking into the village discount with this whole big box of tapes. Um, my wife said to me, are you sure you really want to get rid of all this stuff? And I said, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it'll mean yeah. something to somebody someday. Huh. And I dumped them. Right. And that's where Eric picks up the story. And how, how long of a, how much time passed before Eric comes into the picture? And picks you know, up I'm not exactly sure of the time frame anymore, but I think it was a couple of months. Yeah, oh, about okay. Two, about two, two to three months later, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was enough time that I'd kind of, you know, it's kind of like, I, you know, I just, I got rid of all this stuff, you know? Right. And, and, you know, like, and, and it was, it was, it was not only commercial tapes of a lot of like really cool shit. I mean, you know, right. like, what'd you mention? Like suicide and yeah. I don't yeah. know what all was Bowie, it. Bowie, Stereo Lab. You know, Echo and right. the Bunnymen. I mean, right. you name it. It's just stuff that we listen that, to. That bag, of, that bag of tapes would have given some hipsters some big credibility at a party. Absolutely. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Right. Call me yeah. Sure. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. 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 You know, yep. We were like, there were like there were like homemade pretty things mixtapes and oh, cool. the Raider mixtapes and, yeah. and and I don't know you know Chris and Cozy electronic right. stuff whatever um, oh there's a whole bunch of stuff you know right and I just I just I just uh, I let go of it right and then a few months later somebody comes back oh, with it. exactly back to me they keep pulling me back in. I had this like epiphany or whatever, this like weird idea. It's like, well, I'm going to try to make a record. Like, that sounds like, you know, I'm going to try to make a, I've never made a record. Like, what do I have? What should I do? And I was like, well, I guess I should probably contact the, <laughs> the people from the band about making the record. See if they want you and to then, make it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, you know, I knew that uh, Lorna had passed away and right. but I knew that there was another main member of the band from that Tribune article. Uh, because it was mostly just David and, and Lorna um, back and forth answering right. questions. And uh, I found him on Facebook. You know, I asked if I could make make a, a record. Um, and then I just, you know, I found him right away. I knew it was him because uh, he had the Lorna uh, Donnelly photos in his photos and Da photos. So I was like, okay, that's, that's the guy. Sent him that message, uh, went to bed, woke up the next day, got a message from him that said, yeah, let's let's talk. And then I, uh, I looked at his profile again, and I noticed we had two friends in common. And one was uh, Rick Addy, who's um, the owner of Shake, former owner of Shake, Rattle and Reed. Um, great guy, Chicago music guy. And the other one was my dad's friend of uh, like 45 years. And, my, uh, and I'm from St. Louis. Uh, and uh, so I was like, that's, that's interesting. I was like, by the way, how do you know? Uh, I sent him another message. By the way, how do you know this guy? Because I had looked at his page too, and I saw that yeah. same guy, and I thought, "How the hell does this guy? Why does? Why are we friends with this person that I went to high school with like fifty years ago, yeah. forty years ago? It was weird, you know. It was kind of a weird little. It kind of, it kind of put the hook in my mouth. Like, who is this guy? This this yeah. this Eric Clements guy? Because the only person <laughs> I ever knew named Clements was this guy on the high school baseball team that I played on. Yeah, which yes. turned out okay. Go ahead. So then I asked him. Uh, I'm going to turn your mic off. Yeah. So then I, so then I asked him. Uh, I asked him. By the way, how do you know this guy? He's been my dad's friend for 45 years, and he said, uh, "He goes, your your dad's Greg Clements, isn't he?" He goes, "I'm. I was. I graduated from Brentwood High School in 1974, and I graduated '98. Um, and then it turns out he dated my. Uh, turns out I find out that he dated my aunt for uh, two years." And he, and he played high school baseball with my dad. 
We I actually know. had the same. We actually had the same uh, high school baseball coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was in my, my senior year. I was in a French class with his mom, who was a sophomore. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a picture of my of my mother, uh, David, and my my aunt, who we dated, and then my other aunt. Uh, I, have a, I have a picture of my mother and all of her siblings and David Thomas. That's an amazing, um, just serendipitous connection uh, that you two have. So uh, let's pause here, take another break, and uh, we're going to listen to Crack the Sky off of Time Stand Still, and you're listening to Lorna Donnelly and The Veil.
I kind of felt like, holy cow, this has been arranged from above because, because sure. you know, this isn't just anybody that found these tapes and is now contacting me. Yeah, this is somebody that I have this weird, like, odd connection, secret history with almost, right. you know yeah. what I mean? It has nothing to do with the music scene, right? It's like one of those things where it's like an open secret. It's like right in front of your face and then until you do something. Yeah, but, but, talk, but at the talk same time, right, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, not having ever, ever had any, like, not only not any connection with each other, like directly, Right, like not even really an awareness of each other's existence. Right, right, right. Oh, to- totally, right. totally. You know, so it yeah. was kind of like, wow, this stranger comes along and finds these tapes that you know right. that meant a lot to me, that meant a lot right. to her, that were like our creation. Right, and he comes along and expresses this interest in in you know in yeah. doing something with them and putting them out. And there's also like this weird. It was kind of like I was weird. It was like you know, oh gosh, this is like this long lost brother that Lorna sent my way mm-hmm. to, you know, make sure that this, that this project that we started on so many years ago, actually somehow saw the light of day. And that's, that to me is really like cool and magical and mystical and fulfilling. And I'm very grateful that he, you know, I'm glad that I dumped the tapes. I let go of them, you know, right. And, it, and it's kind of, it kind of feels like that's what I had to do. That's part of the story. Right. It's just yeah. that you put it back out in the universe and somebody picks it up and takes it and does something else with it. I'll say one more thing about that. Just okay. one quick thing. And, and that is when I, when I tell people this story, you know, this crazy story about this, about this connection, I always, I always remind them that, you know, I contacted David before I even knew about the connection. Like it all started with music. Oh yeah. Right. right. I contacted David before I knew how great Lorna was. Right. Um, and everything I've learned since then, it was all about, you know, yeah. seven or eight songs and then i contacted them so that's like something that and everything else is just you know uh it is what it is but but yeah i wouldn't have contacted them if i you know if i knew this it was uh you know any other connection like that it was all about the music i guess that leads into the next segment then if you guys want to talk about actually getting it in its final form uh kind of as a set of a collection of songs if you will uh, to actually getting it uh, printed on vinyl, how how did that process kind of unfold? Once we we met a few times, um, and David told me like where I could get the masters. He had some. Mm-hmm. He had some uh, himself, and you know through those two recording sessions that they studio recording sessions that they did uh, in 80s, 88 and eighty nine. Uh, yeah we put together a 10 song sequence. And um, like I said uh, before, you know, there are a few songs that I'd found on the cassette right. that I liked a lot. Uh, on the, you yeah, want to finish. finish right. And, you yeah. know, I had, I had a lot of heart for, uh, but yeah, it was always intended to be on vinyl. Um, and, and yeah, yeah. And then once we got to the record, once we got the recordings finished, we came up with artwork that I felt was, sort of of the time and right uh expressed or showed Lorna that the photo on the front shows Lorna in the foreground and we wanted to right. highlight her David wanted to highlight her he had changed the name of the band uh to Lorna Donnelly in the right. Veil to highlight her I felt like if you 
if you didn't put her on the front in the foreground, you're kind of burying the lead. And then right. now you look at the you look at you look at that the cover and it's like, oh shit, who the fuck is this? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so. we worked, you know, we worked together on on um I mean, I kind I kind of approached it like, okay, well, you know, Eric wants to do this. Okay, then you know you're vested. Let, right. Yeah, let let him let him take the reins. Um, he can ask me anything, you know, right. I can, I can give my suggestions. Um, but ultimately in, in many ways, you know, my, my part of it was being the guitar player in the band and her co-writer and, and, right. you know, yeah. and her accomplice and her co-conspirator, um, you know, and so that's all over with and, and, you know, right. done and gone. Um, and as far as the record goes, you know, Eric took it upon himself to want to do this. Yeah. And I've, you know, and I've, we've had, I mean, we've had discussions about, we don't necessarily agree on every tiny little aspect of it, but generally I pretty much let him, you know, make a decision about it. And, you know, but, but he came to me with a number of different, you know, cover designs and, you know, we talked about the inner sleeve and we talked about the color of the vinyl and, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. There was nothing that he did that he didn't run past me. Yeah, you know, and, uh, and David approved. Pre- David approved everything in the in the the artwork. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and it was a, it was a fun process. You know, and um, yeah. and, and you know, my uh, I know kind of, kind of my attitude about it was often like, well, what would Lorna want? You know, what would right? What would she like it to be? What would she you, like it to look you're, like? You're you're kind of acting on behalf of like her memory and like just kind yeah. of knowing, knowing what her sensibilities are being able sure. to kind of actually bring all that to light and that that's great yeah exactly yeah. and i felt and i felt like you know eric uh eric was right in tune with it you know yeah yeah it's a you know it's, it's a really cool process uh you know because lorna you know she died you know she died uh suddenly and tragically uh, just kind of as she was starting her, you know, she got married, she was married for the first time, uh, you know, three months before. Right. And, uh, and it's just, and I think that I don't want to speak for anyone, but I think that maybe something so tragic, it's hard to revisit stuff or it's hard to pick it back up. Yeah. When it's something that's so like sudden. So, I mean, and watching, you know, David, like I said, David's the, David's the one who wanted to call it Lorna Donnelly in the veil, which I think that was was a great idea. Yeah. And even if I didn't, it would have still, it'd still be Lorna Donnelly in the veil um, because, you know, you know, it's his, it's his music. Right. Music that he did with Lorna. And I, and I think that, you know, that music, like I've, I've been around that music for three years and um, I've, I know a, a ton about um, the band and a ton about Lorna. I'm actually, I'm actually working on a, another project mm-hmm. uh, that's going to focus on that. But I've learned so much about them. And, um, you know, you just you just hear this uh, when you hear the music, when you hear the veil, you hear like you hear like two people like in sync. Yeah. And a really fucking good guitarist and, and, and two really good drummers in different in points. But you, it's just like these people in sync doing something. You said it was timeless. Yeah, they're doing the, they're doing something very organic. Um, and it's very and something about Lorna, which may, people may not know. But one of the great things about Lorna's music is it, it's it, the earnestness of it. You know, right. she's not trying to chase some chase a trend 
or chase a, uh, you know, she's trying to get her feelings out and she's trying to do it the most earnest way she can with the, the music that inspires her the most at that time or the music that she like got the most out or felt the most connected to at the time. And I think like you look at when I, when I hear like The Crown, which is the second song on the record, you know, I, I picture like David and Lorna, I picture like Lorna being like maybe the happiest she had been at the time, mm. you know? And like, hold me, like, I feel like these, like, like, I just feel like, you know, this, this passion in her voice. And it's like, it's, she's not trying to, the, the music is unbelievably catchy. Uh, it's accessible. You love it right when you hear it, but it's, it's, but it, there's an earnestness to it where she's still making it very personal and David as well. I mean, they wrote, they wrote together. Uh, and yeah, I think maybe that's what, what, what got me originally. Um, and what c- continues to get me and listening to Lorna's other music, you know, it's the earnestness of it and not trying to trace it, chase a trend. I mean, find another band like that in 1988. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might, but it, it'd be hard to. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's a timelessness to it. I think it's cool that we have some homegrown music that was unearthed uh, or discovered, you know, tr- this hidden treasure that was unearthed and it's, it's through and through a Chicago endeavor, um, you know, even though the media that it's printed on comes from Chicago. So I think that's a really cool kind of kind of way to kind of wrap that aspect of it too, being able to work with a local press, you know, uh, local vinyl press. So, and even like going to smash plastic the other day and grabbing it. And one of the guys uh, who was helping me load it into the car, all the records, he was like, Oh yeah, the guys in the back just love it. Yeah. You know, you know, talking about, you know, and I I've heard that, yeah. Uh, several times and I say several because it's it just it's just getting released right now yep. but it's like so satisfying and you said something about it earlier it's like so satisfying almost like a in a pride way or an ego way to be like right I like I was right <laughs> you know yeah, right. like I wasn't just like I didn't just have like a too many gin and tonics and was just like pipe dreams like that's a it's a really fucking good record it's really yeah. good music and it's like and you know, it's, it's, it's just such a satisfying feeling to know that like, uh, that other people are enjoying it too. And, and we, in the, by the same token, you know, that's really how we always felt about it too. We knew it was good. You know, we knew that it was, um, I mean, I don't know if we could have guessed that it was timeless, but we knew it was good. We knew it was worthwhile. Um, you know, and circumstances led to it sort of, you know, becoming lost. Um, you know, so sort of the rediscovery of this stuff by Eric. I mean, um, yeah, I, I feel the same way about it when people hear it and they go, wow, it's really great. And I'm like, yeah, it was, it was great. You know, yeah. um, you know, and so now maybe we're not completely lost to history right. um, or lost from history, you know, and, and in particular that, you know, Lorna, um, that people have an opportunity to hear Lorna and to hear Lorna's songs. And to hear the, she, she really just, she put so much into it um, that it was really rather phenomenal. And it was a great honor. Um, I mean, she was, she was the love of my life for many years, but it was also a great honor to work with someone who was so, um, so fucking talented. It was, it was, it was startling sometimes. You know, this just wasn't, a uh, you know a, a, a project that uh, they you know didn't get a chance to make the male record. No, they wanted to make records. They were a tight band who had ambitions, and you can you can hear that. 
they suddenly broke up, um, you know, and everything just kind of went on a shelf. But, you know, this band, I don't know if they ever would have become anything, but like I said, they had, you know, some of some talented people, the, the, the nucleus of it, David, Lorna, who'd been playing together for seven years, David, both guitarists had been playing together for almost a decade. Uh, it was an extremely tight band with ambitions. And I think that's why it surprises so many people is because it was like, they were going they were, they felt like they were going to do something and they didn't. Um, so that's why the record's so good. I mean, the story is kind of bittersweet because it took 30 years to get it out, but that's why people are so stunned, I think, by the record because of how good it is and just the fact that they don't know this band at all. Level with this record finally appearing, um, time in a way perhaps does stand still. You know, when we create art, when we make art, um, you know, we freeze a moment in time perhaps. Um, and I guess that's what we were doing. You can check out Lorna Donnelly and Nevale at your local record store if you're in the Chicago area. Um, they're also selling the vinyl through Lorna Donnelly and Nevale.bandcamp.com. Links are all over rockinchicago.org for this. And I uh, hope you enjoy what you heard tonight, this amazing story. We're going to close everything with the title track off of uh, this amazing album. Once again, this is Lorna Donnelly and Nevale with Time Stand Still. Thank you for listening and have a great evening. One, two, three, four.